1: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Erica, and Erica was married to a coercive controller. It's a story of dissociation, language, puzzle pieces, financial abuse, and self-discovery. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today we have Erica. How are you?
0: I'm great. How are you?
1: I am doing well, and thank you so much for being here. And if you want to be a guest like Erica is today, please do go to our website at narcissistapocalypse.com. At the top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our guest form page. Please do read all of the instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our guest form. And please do read all of the instructions and send it in the format that we ask for. And today we are going to hear Erica's story and a trigger warning for this episode. We do discuss sexual coercion in this episode, as well as animal abuse. So if this is not for you, please do turn the episode off now. And also in today's story, you are going to hear two different abuse stories, but the second story uh, that you're going to hear is the main uh, story uh, of Erica's story that we're going to be concentrating on, but it's important to hear the first story as well. And Erica's story is also, in a way, kind of still going on because there's post-separation abuse that is constantly happening. So I really want to thank Erica for uh, being a guest on our show once again, and I'm going to get out of my way and your way. Erica, the floor is now yours.
0: Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, anytime there's an opportunity to share stories so that maybe possibly we can reach somebody else who may be in the midst of what I know I experienced and what many other people have experienced in life. Um, I was, you know, it's interesting because my story feels like all the Lifetime movies rolled into one except for the Christmas season (laughs) until recently. It really has felt like that, Um, especially now after I've processed and gone through therapy. So we're definitely having this conversation after years of healing, not in the midst of it, um, though I'm still experiencing some of the post-separation abuse. Um, It's not, I'm not in the thick of things and I've done a lot of healing. And I think that's important to say in the beginning, because many people who are listening to this may be in the middle of dealing with, I now know I'm abused, or I'm experienced abuse, or I may be the one who's abusing and doing these tactics on somebody who I care about. And we can definitely make a change. So my story started when I was a little girl. Um, Honestly, I was conditioned to believe that women were to be submissive to men. So right away, there was just this coercive traditionalism (laughs) where it's really, really staunch um, in the sense that uh, I felt that as a woman, um, our voices were below. Um, I was trained to be a mother and to be a wife. Um, I was raised in a religious cult. And so by the time I was 16, I basically had a master's level education in theology. I could read the Bible in three different languages and I had taught and spoken on the stage to hundreds of thousands of people, which is not normal for a 16-year-old, especially in the 80s and 90s, right? So when I graduated high school, I left right away to go be on a mission (laughs) and go serve and to um, dedicate my entire life to this because that's what I was told to do and um, in the process of those that time I saw the world because I never really been in the world right I was in high school I just saw high school (laughs) right so I'm in the world and realizing that uh, there's things going on in my life that are not good it is not the way the truth and the light like this is not okay and I spoke up And at barely 20 years old, I was what's called mark and avoid from not only my family, but my entire community that I'd ever known. Um, I was in Virginia Beach, and I had 24 hours to move out of where I was living, and I moved into my red Ford um, Aerostar minivan. And the reason why this is important is because I had to go through therapy to actually buy a minivan because we actually, I need it now because I have so many kids. (laughs) I had to attend therapy because so many horrific things happened to me in and around and circulating around having to be homeless and living in a vehicle. But that's where it started. That's really where it started. And I was in a city, I knew nobody. I um, had a language and I spoke a language that wasn't common. I mean, you just didn't see and hear people going around. God bless you. You're so wonderful. God loves you. Like, that's how we spoke all the time. And so I didn't even really speak the same language as the people that were around me. And I was barely 20. And uh, needless to say, I probably I did a lot of things that um, I wouldn't have chosen had I not already just didn't care because my body had already been treated so poorly by men at that point in time. Um, I didn't have a family. I didn't have a community. And so, you know, things went on and I um, met and stayed with somebody for 13 years and married, ended up marrying him, but we were young. I had a baby at 23, took on being the mother of his child that he had while he was in high school. So it just wasn't already, we weren't really like, destined (laughs) for success, right?
1: So you come from this religious sect in beliefs, and now you're in this new world. Has your belief system changed at all about relationship? Like, what is your thought process around this now?
0: It was so ingrained. And so I fantasized. I actually, in my head, thought I put aside things that were happening because in the pursuit of having that family unit, like I had a baby, This I'm supposed to marry this person. We're supposed to be, stay committed to each other. I'm supposed to serve him. I need to work endlessly. I need to provide for my family. I need to take care of the babies. And it really, outside of me being the breadwinner, I played a very submissive role, but he wasn't able to even leave. Like he was incapable of even doing those things because he was experiencing... Serial adolescence, where I'm, I have too much responsibility. I'm not going to grow up and I'm going to put that irresponsibility out on you and you're just going to take on everything. And so I wanted that family so badly. I wanted somebody to love me and his mom loved me and his stepfather loved me and I had this family, right? I just, so I ignored a lot of things that were going on. I ignored his alcoholism. I ignored his drug use. I ignored, um, his, Pressure on me to do things sexually that I was not comfortable with. Um, I gave in to his pressure to do things workwise that I did not agree to, that I did not want to do, I was not comfortable doing. Like there was so much that I compromised just to keep that family unit together because I thought that's what I had to do. And it took thirteen years, and another child, <laughs> so now i'm I'm raising three children. Um, my son, youngest son was born um, with a disability. He didn't have an ear, and so he was hard of hearing, and so there was a lot of challenges and doctor's appointments and things going in there, and I'm being an adult, and this man who's next to me is not, not keeping a job. You know, longest job we ever had was like three years. So he's spending he's spending money, hard-earned money on frivolous things, Instead of the necessities that we actually need, and so putting us in debt, and the the financial abuse was interesting because he didn't, even though he didn't bring the money in, he was still financially abusing me on a daily and weekly basis. Because again, submission, <laughs> and I'm thinking he needs to have control and access to everything, and it was stupidity, a, a lot of na- naivety too, I think.
1: So you use the term serial adolescence. And that's a term that we haven't used on this podcast before. So can you explain that to us a little bit more?
0: It is a type of abuse that is utilized where then one person just is carrying so much weight. It's just not possible. I mean, the reason why we join together with somebody else is to have a partnership, right? I mean, that's what we're supposed to, a healthy relationship is a partnership. There should be some alleviation on some things. Um, we shouldn't... You know, we sit back and go, okay, mom, I'm bringing in the money. I'm not going to sit here and do anything. I'm not going to cook. I'm not going to clean. I'm not going to do laundry. I'm not going to provide anything. I'm not going to watch my kids. Because if I do, I'm going to call it babysitting and I'm going to charge you. I'm going to charge you to watch my kids. And the pay- price that you're going to pay is, I'm going to go out and I'm going to go drink and you're not going to know what time I'm going to come home. I mean, I would wake up and not even know where my husband went. So after 13 years, yeah, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. As much as there was a love there and I wanted to keep my family together, I couldn't. And I figured if I'm doing it all on my own, I might as well just do it on my own. And so um, that was not easy (laughs) Um, because there's laws that you have to abide by. And, you know, in that state, we needed to be separated, like physically separated for an entire year to be divorced. And he kept on coming back to the house, so. That was really hard. Um, so that recall these things as I'm saying it, because there were reasons why I became an ideal client for a serial abuser. Like I was the ideal. I just say much all together. Um, I was, so here I am, I am a single mom. I have three kids I'm trying to provide for. I need to be out on my own place. I can barely afford it. Um, you know, I'm working hard, 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 and here comes this person who, uh, checks off a lot of boxes that I was like, I'm not going to put up with X, Y, and Z, right? I want somebody who's financially stable who knows how to work, <laughs> you know? So I put a lot of logic into things instead of anything else because my heart had already been broken. So love to me was, didn't matter. It was all about logic.
1: So what else was on this list?
0: um so definitely financial stability keeping a, a job um a ability to have a discussion and not feel like I'm talking to this mad scientist my husband had my previous husband had this grandiose idea um of who he was and his intelligence ability to want to do things with children and like Do it together. Uh clean. Could you just like clean without telling me, telling you to clean or um like getting you high so you'll help me go clean. Like, you know, there was some like real, just like practical things of like, I just need part a partnership. And I have kids, I don't want to do the bar scene. I don't want to, you know, do that. I've gone out with some girlfriends. I did the whole let's go party and you know, and Hoop it up. But it just wasn't me. That's just not my thing. And so I went online to meet.
1: How are you feeling about yourself at this point? How do you view yourself at this point?
0: I probably, um, then I would have said I had the lowest self-esteem I'd ever experienced, but I now know that that it's possible to go even lower. Um, I did have some confidence in me because I had um, done a really good job in my career and I was doing a good job providing for myself. So I had confidence there. I also had confidence in, um, my ability to be a great wife and mom. So those things were in my confidence physically and how I viewed myself, none. Um, I, I I'd probably have never really thought my, of myself very highly at all. Um, I know now where that stems from. I and mean, when you're sexually abused at the age of five um, and then you continue to be abused by men your entire life and you finally at 40 something years old, put these pieces together. I understand why that little girl and that woman didn't feel good about herself. I get it now, right? But then I didn't. And so when you have somebody who's giving you compliments and making you feel good and taking you out on dates and is checking off on the boxes um, and you have decent references. I mean, like we, I, I knew people that he knew. So to me, it was like, okay, he must be okay. There's no way, there was really no way to vet people. And first of all, we're not ever taught or told how to vet somebody for a relationship. Like, honestly, that's not a skill that anybody's taught. It is now a little bit easier because of the internet and because of social media, but it's also easier to hide who you are because you can completely disappear and just be a whole brand new person and create a whole profile that isn't you, right? So there's a lot of like social abuse and that's not abuse that has, um, that past generations have had to deal with social abuse and using the internet, pictures being held against you, you know, (laughs) um, all of the things that come with this amazing technology that we now have, right? So he was able to create a person that was partially and somewhat true, but not really true. And I was already so worn down at this point in time in life and so exhausted it was very easy for him to sweep in and he very much, um, had a process and steps. I now know, I didn't know then, um, that I, what I was experiencing, but it happened very, very quickly that I got to the point where there was no questions asked. I wasn't leaving him, but I actually didn't love this person. Like I wasn't actually attracted to him. Um, mean he, had forced that upon me so much that I thought I was and I convinced myself I was, and I went along with things. Um, so he sweeps in, you know, he was funny. He took me out. Um, but, um, within the first, you know, few weeks, um, but to me, he had already tried to, um, he'd already forcefully had sex with me. I thought it happened, but I wasn't sure when I woke up in the morning, like it was one of those things. Um, within the first three months, he had used weapons against me and threatened, uh, violence. Uh, he had already stalked me. He had already cut me off from a lot of people, but he also wined and dined me and wooed me and he had a clean home and he took me and my kids to go do things. And there was this, I can't even say Dr. Jekyll and uncle, you can't even say that because The person who was really nice was also doing these evil, horrible things in a very calm, calculated way. It wasn't until later on and years later that I would. See actual anger to the point of like levels of anger, like his anger was very. You just felt it Um, six foot two, maybe three 200 and something pounds military police officer who wore all the gear and always had a gun and weapon on him. Um, I was forced to sleep with knives underneath the bed. Um, It was a constant like, uh, you do understand that I can get to that before you even try to kill me. Um, There was just things said that I didn't even have to challenge him because I was already in fear. I was already captivated in fear um, and psychologically kidnapped at that point in time. Um, and that was by the time we moved to Ohio and he re, like completely re, relocated me. That was almost a year and a half, almost two years. So by 2010, I was I was in a complete disassociated state. Uh, my life is great and well provided for. We have a happy life. I love this man. He's great. This is going to be wonderful and selectively ignored or didn't pay attention to the rest, though I knew it was wrong. And I was scared because I know I did things. like I wasn't just sitting back and not doing anything. Like I was calculating, trying to catch him on cheating and all, you know what I mean? Like I was doing things too. So it just was just this horrible unhealthiness all the time. But on the outside, I just had a smile and I was, you know, the mom and it was crazy. It was definitely a roller coaster and I used that terminology all the time and I would say things to him, but I would also, he had the ability to be like, I'm sorry, this is because of my military background, you don't know what I've had to do and now I'm retired and I'm just having a hard time or my parents did this to me or I had bad past relationships, like it was always, there was always a reason why he was behaving poorly or it was my fault Um, and so, it was just a constant roller coaster. Uh, we'd have our high times and things would be okay, and we'd have our low times where I was hiding in the closet, crying, bawling my eyes out, trying to figure out how I was going to get out of this. And every time I tried to figure out how I was going to get out of this, something else would happen that would either that would keep me um, for a little bit longer, um, and that was the hard part.
1: So essentially, you're you're living in a prison. And are you thinking to yourself, leaving is more dangerous than staying? See,
0: at that point in time, I think I had um, convinced myself that there was no way that he would actually do anything to us. That this was just his coping mechanism. Because when I did finally leave, and I was in a crisis center, and a woman was sitting across the table from me, I mean, we can talk about that when we get that to that point. Her saying things to me was. The point where I realized how bad it actually was. Like, there, I really was in it, can't, but that's not me. (laughs) And that's why I tell them, because I was in that place of I see these things happening on TV, women being beat. I see these things, but that's not me. But that's not me either, because I knew I wasn't in a healthy relationship. I knew that I didn't love this person. I knew that the things that were going on were not right. I knew that I didn't want to be there. Like I knew those things as well at the same time that I was in that. So, um, you know, being isolated when you're so cut off that you don't feel like you have anywhere else to go is a really hard place to be. Um, And when abusers start isolating you and it turns where you start abusing yourself and you start self-isolating it doesn't really matter what resources are around you and you, you don't even recognize them. You're not going to reach out because you're already just point of, it's just easier just to deal with what I know, the monster that I know than to deal with how to get out all of that other stuff. Because that's, it's a lot. It's a lot. And so I truly believe that many of us, we, even if we don't physically leave, we leave in our heads and in our minds. Um, emotionally and in other ways, up to the seven times. You know, when they say a woman leaves seven times before she finally leaves her abuser, it's not physically she leaves all the time. It's not. You know, we've planned it out. We've tracked it. We've tried to, and then we get pregnant. And we're like, okay, what, now I have how many kids? Like, what am I supposed to do? He's already told me who's going to love me with this many kids. How am I ever going to support this many kids? What am I going to do? He's going to leave me in the side of the road in a cardboard box where he found me, which wasn't true, but that's what he would tell me. And so I was scared. I was scared all the time. And without recognizing that that was actually fear I was
1: experiencing. So eventually you move to Ohio. What happens once you're there?
0: So we moved to Ohio February of 2010. And with a couple of weeks, I found out I was pregnant, which was really weird to me because I had been so good with my birth control because I I didn't want to get pregnant. (laughs) Um, I right before we had moved, we had had this huge blow up. I wanted to leave, but all of my stuff was already packed on the semis because the military was moving us. Um, And so I had no real ability to get my stuff, much less my children's. And that's what I kept on thinking. I'm like, all their clothes, all their toys, all their keepsakes, all the things that mean something to them are on this semi. So I at least need to just go. Maybe it's just the stress of the move. And so when we're in Ohio, it just started off really, really hard. He moved his mother into the home that we were renting while we were waiting for the house that we were going to buy um, she was abuses of fuck. And she was a psychopath. This woman would stand at the bottom of the stairs at two o'clock in the morning, banging her cane against the wall. you fucking bitch get down here? Wipe my ass. Da, 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 da. Um, I would have days where I was, you know, she would threaten to hit me with her cane and I'm crying to him. And like, it was just hard. It was really hard. Um and on top of it, within a few weeks I found out again I was pregnant and I couldn't understand how. Like I remember then looking back, I still have I took the test where he couldn't um know I was taking it. Like there was no way he could get through the trash or anything. Um I confided in a complete fucking stranger in the bathroom of a YMCA. <laughs> and I cried for four hours until I had to go pick up my children and figure out what I was going to do. Um, somehow, some way he convinced me to continue going forward, or I thought I didn't have a choice. Who knows? I just was an emotional wreck back then and pregnant and thinking that this was my, my night shining army, solving the problems. This was good. Everything's good. Um, and it continued um, for four years. Uh, in that period of time, I, I experienced marital rape on a daily, weekly basis. I was forced to do things sexually that I've never wanted to do ever in my entire life or desire to do. Um, I was forced to have another child. I was forced to turn over all my income to him. Um, My child support that came from my other children that was supposed to be paying the vehicle payment that he claimed was my vehicle, which wasn't, come to find out my name, wasn't anywhere on it. And he wasn't using that money to make the payment. Like, (laughs) So when I went to leave in 2014, um, he tried to have me arrested for stealing the vehicle. But it was also the way he was able to track me too. It was a lot. There was just a lot going on. A lot.
1: So we haven't really discussed your kids. How does he uh, treat your children? And is he involved at all? And does he use them in any way uh, against you?
0: Uh, you know, it's interesting because um, when I wouldn't comply or when I was maybe standing up a little bit more for myself, I would notice that he would be harsher on punishments for the kids. So say they did something wrong. Okay. Well now you can't go to your extracurricular activity. i like, what do you mean they can't go to basketball? That's ridiculous. That's not an accurate punishment. But yet I still can't go against it because I know if I do, then it's like, we're not a united front. And he'd use that against me. Like there was a lot of, you know, we're supposed to be parenting together type of, if you don't do it this way, used against me, he was, he was very careful and methodic on what he would do and what he wouldn't do. But he was uh, and then he would shower them with gifts and things. I mean <laughs> we went to Disneyland. I mean we went, you know, or Disney World, whatever one is down in Florida, right? We we went on vacations. We did trips. They had great um Christmases, birthdays, you know, presents. Things were happening and, you know, they were still living a um We were still operating in a normal sense of life. You know, kids go to school, you know, I would go to the farmer's market, you know, like life was still happening. And so how he would use children was how he knew it would get to me. Forced to be quiet, especially when he took a job at night. And so I'm like, I have have babies now and you're telling me to keep babies quiet while you're sleeping during the day? How am I supposed to do that? Like... (laughs) He, I, like, how am I supposed to do that? Um, during this time, he was also abusive to pets. That was the other thing that he would use against me is that as animals and how he treated animals. Like, there was a lot of just manipulation, um, psychological abuse going on a lot, yelling, screaming, those type of things, throwing objects. The hardest part was there was just so many types and forms of abuse happening at any point in time, and even during the good times, because there were good times where we laughed and we were smiling, (laughs) there were, I can't lie about that. But I now know that they were forced and they were manipulated and they were calculated and they were meant to keep me there for longer and to um, kind of smooth over and make life feel normal. So I didn't think as much was going on. Um, And by the time my last child was born, um, I I knew I wanted to get away. I knew I wanted to leave, but I also was not in a really healthy mental place because I did things to get away that I'm not proud of, but I thought at that point in time, that's what I had to do. so I I staged an affair, <laughs> I made it so it looked like that I was cheating because I figured if um, I knew that he would be mad if another person had touched me, um, another man had touched me, I should say, <laughs> um, and if I was doing something outside of him and that I if I was even giving the idea of it, and so I started going down that road because at this point in mean, time I just didn't really care. I just wanted to get away. Um, I started reaching out and trying to make other friends. Um, I were speaking up a little bit more, even though the people that I was speaking around weren't actually listening because I was saying things that were wrong. I was I was telling, and um, but not in a way where I was coming out and saying, I'm being abused, you know, but I would tell bits and pieces. And the hard thing was, is there was a lot of people who were like, Oh yeah, my husband does that too. Because the piece that I was telling him, I was just testing to see is like, you know, just get mad and he throws like things, and you know, and that was not as uncommon as I thought. But throwing a fully loaded diaper at a person's face so hard that their lip busts—that what? That's pretty hard. That's pretty hard, <laughs> you know. So. I tried to save up money, you know, I asked for a divorce, I went through the steps and process, I tried to do it all like calm and collected and um, he made it really, 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 really challenging so much so that he forced me and my children to move and live upstairs and he was allowed to be downstairs and the downstairs had the kitchen and the living room with the TV and, you know, (laughs) he had the master and so I'm upstairs with four children Trying to live life. Um, He bugged my room using baby monitors to listen to my private conversations. He broke into my electronics. Um, He tracked my vehicle. Um, So, a lot of this stuff was going on, and I'm catching little things here and there. And so, I'm starting to really put a lot of pieces together. So, I, I found the baby monitors and confronted him with it. You know, I found where he had stolen my clothing and destroyed some of it. I had found um, you know, he, I would write things down. I was writing a list because he wanted a list of belongings. He's very, um, was very concerned about material possessions, um, and giving all of his things. And so I started writing a list so that, you know, we could do it nicely. And, um, he took that list and trashed it. And then for a day and a half, um, tried to convince me that, it didn't exist that I was imagining it. And if it did, then it was a ghost that took it. And I mean, like, it was, and then finally it appeared, you know? <laughs> so, like, there was just psychological games going on, um, pushing, walking by me and like acting like I was in the way. And so, because I was in the way, I ran into the wall or the chair. And now I have this like hurting me in ways that just, you know, wear you down, wear you down. I still to this day have so much backlog proof of all of the stuff that he was doing and had been doing. It's gross. It's just gross. I mean, you could you could write 10,000 books, the screenshots, the, you know the women and the men that he was sexually um, talking to and contacting and the money that he was transferring out of bank accounts that, and I was like, what are you doing? The hiring the PI, he hired um, somebody to follow me when I went down to Florida with one of my children to visit an aunt that i had never met. I didn't grow up knowing my biological father and his side of the family. And this was at a time where I needed time to get away and think And the opportunity was afforded to me. um, And he used that over my head and kept some of my children behind to make sure that I would come home. Um, And hired somebody to follow me around. You know, I found that out after I got back and I'm looking at our cell phone records and going, what the heck is this? I was constantly looking and finding constantly Um, to the point where it, it was obsessive. It was my protection method. It was how I dealt with it. Because if i at least knew this much about what was going on then i felt like he wasn't getting away with as much um even though i knew this much stuff was happening um and so it felt it gave me a little bit of power if i felt a little bit powerful
1: so eventually you did actually try to go to an attorney to get a divorce so walk us through this part of your story
0: i went to Just tried to find an attorney to try to get a divorce and it to be civil, because that's what he told me it could be. Yes, finally, he gave it it to be civil, but he didn't. He didn't. He called so many attorney's offices and made um, potential appointments with them. So I could not go at all. Don't even have to show up for that appointment. The moment you make that phone call and they record your name down, that is it. Done. Uh, It's a tactic, for sure. Um, And that's the interesting part is, so before we continue, one of the, I think the most important things for us is to start learning the tactics of abuse. I didn't know what the stuff was called. I did not know I had been psychologically kidnapped. I did not know that he had used course of control on me. I did not know what gaslighting was, what narcissism psycho? like I didn't know the tactics. And if I had known the tactical words of it, I could have done more. So FYI, start learning the language because it matters. What you say initially in those Appointments with those attorneys and to anybody who you're talking to in the law for, uh, law enforcement um, or the legal side, the words that you use matter. And if you use the right words in the beginning, you'll be taken more seriously. You'll have better actions on your cases. Promise. So back to that. I didn't have words. So I manipulated. I manipulated a way for me to do an attorney. I finally found an office I could go to it was few towns over in small town Ohio um I had figured out my cover story for um somebody to be watching my children like I had this all planned out I get in my vehicle and I drive and to this day I still cannot tell you whether the sun was shining or not I now have looked back at my notes and I know that it was but in my memories it's so dark it's so dark and dreary this whole entire day, almost night, like that dark. So I pull up and it's this really small 800 square foot office. I mean, it's tiny, tiny town. I open up the door and no sooner that I put my foot on the threshold, I hear the secretary who is maybe 10 feet away from me say, sure. Hang on one second. What was your name? And she says his name out loud in my face my whole entire body completely went white. I couldn't breathe. I could barely move. I was frozen. And very shortly after that, I moved to her desk and I said, I like worded mouthed quietly. That's him. That's him. Don't tell him I'm here. Please do not tell him I'm here. And I was frantic. But of course I'm like whispering it to her because I'm so concerned. He'll actually hear my voice now. Like, I'm mouthing these words to a woman. And all I did was just walk across the door. So she's looking at me going, oh my gosh, what's going on? She escorts me to a chair and sits me down and brings me a cup of water and tells me to sit there and I'll, she'll be right back with me. Um, a little bit later, I don't know how much time, she escorts me into a back office and I start speaking to the an attorney. And she asks me questions, and I'm telling her what's going on. And um, she's like, I, "I need you to stop for just a moment." And I was like, "Okay, okay." And I'm, cry- you know, I've been crying. I'm sitting here. I'm starting to feel a little bit better, a little bit less anxious. She leaves, and she comes back. She's like, "I'm really sorry, but I need you to stop talking to me now." And I was like, "What do you mean?" She goes, "I can't represent you," and as I just lost it as a, like, what do you, what do you, I don't understand what's going on here. She goes, apparently your husband had already previously made a call to make an appointment with my partner. And even though he didn't show up for that meeting, I cannot take you on as a client. And then she goes, so this is what we're going to do. And I was like, she goes, you're going to file for a civil protection order. And at this point in time, my heart's racing. I'm like, my flesh is turning red and hot. I'm scared. I'm thinking, you know what? Forget it. I'll just go home. I'll apologize. I'll say it was. I, I made a big mistake. I'm so sorry. You know, I'll I'll just fix this somehow. And she keeps on talking and could clearly see that I'm overwhelmed. I'm like, what? She's like asking about the kids. Do you have any place for the kids to go? And I'm like, no, I don't know anybody here. I don't have friends. Like, nobody. I'm cut off. I don't know. Where do you want me to go? I have four kids. Um, two of which were young babies, you know, three and, you know, only, you know, not very old, a few months, months old. Um, and she said, I don't think you're going to be alive by the time the end of this weekend is over. So you need to go to the crisis center. I've already called them and they're expecting you and they're going to walk you through this paperwork and help you get started. And I was like, what? She goes, here's the address. Here's where you're going. They're going to call me when you get there. You don't have to, like, kind of told me in a way where I didn't know that I had a choice, but I also knew that that was the thing I needed to get done. She's telling me, she's a lawyer. She's telling me, this is what I need to do. I need to do this. So I drove to the crisis center. They met me at the door, did the intake interview right there at the door to make sure I wasn't being followed and that there was no gun to my back or anything of that nature and took me down the hallway and put me in a room and had a um, crisis counselor come and talk to me and start doing their intake form. And their intake form is pretty simple. It's just a front and back. You know, they start asking you questions, your name, your address, your children, what are their names? You know, typical like medical interview until they get to the back of the form. And the back of the form is a really simple question, but they start listing out bullets they're trained to ask you and questions that they're trained to ask you. And as she's asking me these questions, do you feel safe? Has he ever hit you? Has he ever forced you to have sex? Do you have access to money? Has he ever used weapons against you? And it just keeps on going. And I can't say no to any of her questions. Not one single one. I answered yes to every single one. And I just put my hand across the table and I'm holding, kind of like trying to touch the paper. And I was like,
1: but that's not me. And she did the one thing that she could have done at that point in
0: time. And that was to just her hand on top of mine and say,
1: but it is, and that's okay. In those moments, I had to realize
0: so much of what had been happening to me, but not just to me, to my children, because they were there. And whether or not they knew the knife was underneath the bed, the fact of the matter is that he did and used it against me, and they were in that environment. You know, things that I was realizing, I said, this is no example. I can't do this. And, you know, when they gave me moments to collect myself um and said you know do you have someplace you can go and I was like where am I supposed to go he knows I'm he probably knows I'm here he knew I was there where am I supposed to go um they called around and shelters couldn't take me because I had too many children and so that was a problem and so the only course of action was to get a civil protection order Um, To be able to stay in our home, Uh, but there was going to be a huge, gigantic problem with that. There was nobody at the courthouse that day. The entire courthouse in my town had been taken to an all-day training two hours away. There was one judge presiding, and um, the judges don't handle civil protections orders. The magistrates did. And so the answer was, we can't do it. And that was what we were we were getting. So not only do I not know how to fill all of this paperwork, I don't have an attorney to help me. Now there's nobody at the courthouse that can actually do this. But yeah, all these people are telling me if I don't do this, I might not be alive by the end of the weekend. So I'm having a panic attack. She's calming me down, and she's like, "Listen, we're gonna figure it out." She made the phone call, and the judge listened long enough to her to say, if you can get her to the courthouse before 4.30, I'll hear her case. He got there by 4.15. Um, He heard the case and issued the civil protection order. Um, Unfortunately, it wasn't filled out completely the way it needed to be because three days later, part of it got reversed. But um, what did happen that night and he was served while he was at work. And that was another Four hours of excruciating hell being put through us. He's being allowed to remove things out of our home while we're there. um, Threatening me with every inch that he could while the sheriff is buddy, buddy. They're all laughing. (laughs) I remember sitting on the couch and watching him take something out the front door and stand on the front lawn. And they were laughing. Laughing together. And as much as I wanted to believe that I was doing the right thing, I was really, really scared. I was still really, really scared. So um, that was in April of 2014. And that's when my journey really, really actually began because I didn't really actually know who I had been captured and married to for those six years.
1: So. You know, you're still trying to survive here because you have to go to get this court order and everything while this realization is happening where like you are now forced to deal with this, the disassociated part of you coming together as one. So are you able to deal with that in that time or is this something that you're going to be dealing with later?
0: Um, initially I was in complete paralysis for about a week and a half. Um, I did bare minimum around the house with my children. I still was able to get them to school. I did, I kept the the facade up as far as that went. Um, but during the day with at home with the babies, just bare minimum, Um, but also battling with the fact that I would get up and I would start doing the things that I knew that he would demand that I do to get done. Like if there were not vacuum marks in the carpet, when he got home, then I must not have done anything that day. And so like, I would catch myself doing things like that going, what the fuck are you doing? Like, he's not here. He's not going to yell at you. And I just, in my mind, I just swore he was going to come around the corner at any moment, I still felt like he was going to be there. Any moment, I remember being in this paralysis of just having a, the realization, but also going, "I don't, I, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do?" He took all of her money. Um, if I drive my car, he's going to say I stole it. Like, like, where? What am I supposed? I can't afford an attorney. I don't have an attorney uh, the civil protection order, I have to go face him in court. And if you, you know, like all this stuff is going on as I'm trying to take care of all children four children. And so it was very, very overwhelming. And so I think a huge part of me at one, at some point said this emotional, psychological damage and breakdown, you're just going to have to wait the fuck a minute because this is what I did. I knew I couldn't get to therapy. Again, a lot of kids, very difficult. It's not as easy for, we think that there's a ton of resources out there. But in reality, sometimes those resources aren't as easy to access for everybody. And that's just the truth. And so they weren't accessible. Um, There wasn't a lot of follow-up as far as, hey, how you doing? I got one phone call. Um, and they came, I had a advocate at one court appearance and that was really it. Um, so I was really on my own. And so I just decided I must, I got to learn and I got to do this and I'm not going to give up. There's no turning back, no turning back, no turning back. So I, I turning, you know, I did the things and I fought and I thought I was telling them enough him to say hey this is a really bad person like we need to do something about it and instead I was being treated like this is a normal divorce this is just people divorces are messy they're bad people say bad things by each other it's always divorces are always hard and messy and that was the attitude I was getting um two Male attorneys going up against each other who had recently just gone against each other for law director, so they were having a pissing match against each other, and nobody was actually giving a flying fuck. Because at this point in time, I had proof that he had stalked me, proof that he had psychologically kidnapped me, proof that he had financially like had done things like wrong. It was there. (laughs) If he had abused, like there was there was enough there to at least dated in the divorce and stick up for me, but nobody, nobody was, it was, let's just figure out how we can just do this. He took me to court a ton of times. Um, until recently, actually, I received a break from going to court. Thank goodness. You know, it took about almost six years before he's has paused. Um, so There again is another continuation of financial abuse, even though you've left your abuser, they can continue to financially abuse you for years and years after because legal representation is not cheap. Gosh, this was two years after our our divorce was finally final and he was taking me back about something and, or hadn't actually, he hadn't complied to an order. Um, And I, I just didn't have any more money. I already owed my attorney money that I just didn't have. I mean, I'm in legal debt. Um, and I thought I could do it. He had gotten another attorney's he gone through several and this man was a bully and he was mean. And I just, I didn't know how to defend myself. I didn't know how to answer his questions properly. And you know, the magistrate, you know, I feel like I did my best that I could, but ultimately he did a better job making me look like I was a fool, even though I'm not. Because that's he knows the law and how to do it, right? So you're being manipulated in court. This is not the time or place, and we could talk about the um, family court system. That's a whole nother conversation um, that you don't realize you're going up against as the one who's being being abused. Now you actually have to fight a whole nother monster too. And it's exhausting. It's, it's a lot. It's just a lot.
1: So how did the abuse continue after the divorce process?
0: Oh yeah. It's been a, it's been quite crazy. Um, when I got a civil protection order from him, unbeknownst to me, he had already captured somebody else. And she was a young 19, maybe 20 year old woman. Um, And he started the process all over with her and kept her for six years. Um, She left in 2020. Um, And so during this time, not only was he coming for me in court, but now he had somebody who utilize he used to come after me through my children because they became tied to her. And she's this young, fun and looks like one of my daughters. And, you know, he, I mean, he so used her to abuse me. Um, he convinced her to stalk me, um, to intimidate me. They did a lot of manipulation, and tried to destroy my business. And so there's just was a lot, there's been a lot going on um, all the way up until 2019. Um, and in 2019, I lost a court battle to try to move away from the area. Um, I realize now I was doing it because I was still afraid. Like I'm, I'm being followed. He still has visitation to my children. They're saying horrible things. There's just a lot, and I, I don't want to be in this area anymore. And my business was thriving, and it, I really wanted to relocate it, and um, it didn't go well. It didn't go well, and the courts actually awarded um, him and her half of every week. She um, two days before that court appearance, she went and helped expunge an actual abuse charge that he had on him that I was not made aware of with her and that he served time in jail for for an entire weekend and then was able to come and pick up my children for visitation. And nobody ever told me ever. So as I'm trying to do all this stuff and I start becoming my own investigator because I'm really tired of all this stuff, I find it out. And so two days before our court appearance, they went and she lied and helped him expunge it. So there's just a lot, right? There's just a lot going on. Um, It's hard. And um, I decide that. I have to do something. And as I continued, as I continued to do my own investigation and to continue to just fight for our freedom of just from this person, honestly, just of the constant fear and the continued abuse. And I found out that I was not the only one. At this point in time, I thought I was number four. I had put enough pieces to the puzzle together. I was his fourth relationship. That's what I thought. I was not. I was the eighth woman that he had tried to do this to. I just happened to be what, the one that he did it to the longest at that point in time. And I was the only one that had to stick around the fight. Everybody else ran and disappeared. He had fathered other children given away his parental rights. He had followed up the children, still was paying child support. He had um, forced women to have uh, abortions. He had, since the age of 18, I was a, from the age of 18 to the time I in 2019 that I was investigating, I was number eight and he had number nine with him. And this just hit me really, really hard. I knew I couldn't do anything about the courts. I lost, I messed up and I had to, you know, it was really difficult. My children were having a very hard time. and But I knew I needed to do something for my mental stability. Um, and I had already from 2014 till 2019 because I couldn't go to therapy. <laughs> in 2014, I picked up my phone and this thing called Periscope had come out and I just started talking and I said, if there's anybody out there and you're listening to it, great, but I just got to talk to somebody. And I just kept on talking and talking and talking and talking and I've never stopped. I've never fucking shut up since then. I've been vlogging my entire life on social media since then and talking about things and just being honest. And so, um, the messages and women that flooded in and just built me up during this time, I could never thank them enough. And they don't even know that they did it because they were just screen names. But over that period of time, I got to know quite a few of them um, through their stories. They would share their stories with me, and it just kept me going. Um, and it was my form of therapy because I did. I had all these children. I'm not financially secure. I'm trying to build a business so that I can you know take care of myself. I'm learning how to love again. I'm going to doing these things to improve myself and to keep pushing forward. And I'm fighting a monster still, you know, there's a lot. And so, um, It gave me a confidence and a self-esteem that I don't know that I could have ever given myself. Um, But in a way I did give it to myself because if you think about it and I'm holding a phone to my face and talking, well, who do I see? I see myself. So when I'm speaking, I'm speaking to myself, I'm telling, my reflection and who's listening, myself is listening. I'm telling her that she's great, that she's amazing. You're strong. You can do this. Better or perfect exists. The power of I am exists. We can do like, so I'm talking to women but I'm actually just talking to me. And so this whole entire time I'm healing myself, right? It was just, Still, I'm still amazed at the healing process. I was able to take what I had learned in my career, um, working for nonprofits and raising millions of dollars and um, doing organization management for companies and setting them up and structuring them and transforming over to how to manage life. And I came up with this really cool system. And so I'm teaching them and we're grooving, we're doing great. In 2019, I'm blown away that, okay, I'm not crazy. I was not wrong. And this man has done this multiple times. He's a serial abuser. There's a pattern here. So what's going on? I walked up to a complete stranger. I was at a teaching at a Christian um, women's homeschooling conference in Washington, D.C., which is really cool, right? So I'm doing things in my life. Um, And I get to sit in her her, um, workshop and I hear her speak and I'm like, Wait a second. She's a doctor of industrial organizational psychology. And what she does for the Fortune 50, I do for everyday women's lives. It's the same shit. So I was like blown away. And she then mentions I also wrote this fiction book about something that plagues um, a lot of women domestic abuse. And so here I am going, here's this really, really smart woman, because I still have a complex of I'm not smart, I'm not good, I'm small. Right. I'm still not healed. <laughs> We're healing and we'll continue to heal. Literally possessed, something came over me and I walked up to a complete stranger. And I said, I know this is going to sound really crazy, but I think we are meant to write a book together. Would you please hear me out? And I proceeded to tell her my story of how, uh, two weeks ago, my serial abuser just got half week custody for my children. And I found out that I was not number four, I'm number eight. And I just blurted all the stuff to her <laughs> and just word vomited all over her. And um, it's, it's been a trip since then. She agreed, we, we wrote a book and I continued to heal because I gave myself more of a language. And that's where I was talking about that language is so important. Had I had the right words, to tell people what was going on and for also for me to understand what it was, right, because I need that understanding, then I could have communicated a lot better. I could have fought a lot harder um, and possibly maybe not even gotten into the situation. Who knows? I'm definitely way more equipped now. And so um, if I've gotten anything out of it is a desire and a passion to equip other people, So that they have what it takes to battle what we are up against in the world. And the fact of the matter is, is that people are abusive and we need to be equipped to battle that because most people will spend the majority of their time in the pendulum of the light stuff to the medium and they won't experience that psycho part. They won't feel like and know that they were kidnapped. They won't have weapons used against them. But that doesn't mean they shouldn't be equipped to handle everything else. So we've got to start talking about it and having the right language.
1: So you've gone through this whole process, this whole healing journey uh, process, but eventually your ex's new partner, uh, partner number nine, comes to talk to you. So what happens here?
0: She actually did come to my home. And that's why I know the things that I thought were true are actually true because she in a way, had a confession session with me Um with the statement of there is probably a lot more that I will never know. Um, but to know that I, won wasn't crazy, I wasn't imagining things Um that is it, comforting enough to know to just let it go. I, I don't need to have any more. You know, I was right. I wasn't crazy. I wasn't wrong. So that's good enough. And I wish her well. I mean, we've had that. Like, I wish her well. She has, in ways, shown her support. But we're not intermingling. And I don't need to be. They're still too intermingled that I don't want to be a part of that.
1: And how are your kids doing?
0: Much better. Um, They've battled a lot. There's still lasting effects of trauma on children. And I have had to learn a lot. I've had to really... I've had to learn a lot and really just be forgiving of not only myself, but of them um, because they have big feelings and they don't necessarily know where those feelings are coming from, but I do. And um, so we'll, we just continue to work on being better. You know, we sh- that's what our philosophy is, is to strive for better, not perfect because perfect doesn't exist. We apologize a lot.
1: So, This podcast is a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It's a podcast for many about abuse, patterns of abuse, validating experiences. We talked a lot today about language as well. And for me, I also see this podcast as a podcast of self-discovery. So from the beginning of your story of how you grew up to both of these relationships we talked about today... I guess, who are you now today?
0: Um, so in comparison of, you know, the little girl before and the woman now, um, I love that you're asking that. I um, am happily married. I had another child. Um, you know, I've healed. I know that there's people out there who love it and are kind. Um, for a while, I did not believe that. But I feel like a part of that Innocent that I was at 20 and going, okay, you know, I'm gonna have a family and I'm gonna have, you know, whatever. I don't want to say white picket fence, but you know, that life of you're just like, this is gonna be your life. I have that. I have a lot of kids. I always dreamed that I was gonna have a lot of kids. I've written a book and spoke and had a career. Like, at, so those things made sure to not give those up. So I did a lot of evaluation of who was I before all this and what did she want? What did she dream of? Um, and out of those, what am I, what do I really want to go after? What's important to me now? Because we changed, like no matter whether I was abused or not, I'm going to change. We're going to adapt to, you know, grow to be other people. But I really did go back because I didn't even know In 2014, I wasn't even sure what my favorite color was. I didn't know what color I wanted my hair. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what purse to carry. Like, all these things had been dictated to me for so long. Um, And then prior to that, you know, being a young mom, I was so overwhelmed that I didn't even think about those things because my partner didn't even, like, want to help out, right? So here I am now at 38, 40 years old going, who the fuck am I? (laughs) Who who am I? I don't even know. And so it has been. It has been a joy and a blast reintroducing myself to myself, and really getting to know myself and healing, um, and going back to that little girl that said, "I want to do these things and I want to be this person," and doing my best to get her that point that wasn't hurt. But here's the thing and I'm really addicted to puzzles. If we fail to recognize all of our puzzle pieces, we will never complete our puzzle and be our full person. And so I can't ignore the person I was and what happened to me through all those years because she's just as part of me as the little girl as I am now, right? And so I spend a lot of time acknowledging my role in those years. Uh, the things that I actually did do and the things that I said and the things that I participated in and I forgave myself because I put those pieces back in. Literally, I have a tattoo on the back of my neck of puzzle pieces. I put them there and I'm not ashamed of them. You want to talk about rape? You want to talk about multiple, you want to talk about stuff? I'll talk to you about it because I've already put those puzzle pieces back in and I'm not ashamed of them. Um, And so I think that part really helps because I don't have to dream this imaginary what would have happened if i hadn't gone through this and regret because i just get to accept that that's who i am and i have all those pieces and i've been used and abused and i've also been strong and fought and been inspiring and i will continue to go down that path and i will will forever be healing i don't think there's ever a part where we say we're healed
1: And if you had any words of wisdom or advice for everyone listening, what would it be?
0: Learn the language of abuse. Learn, know what it is so that you can recognize it and acknowledge it. Because even if you are not currently being abused um, in your life, somebody in your life around you is, and you can be a better ally just by learning and recognizing it. Um, and that's, that's how we make a difference. And that's how we make a change. Uh, abuse has existed since the beginning of time. Women have been abused since the beginning of time. Children have, been, have been, been abused since the beginning of time. As horrible of a point of view that is, it's just the truth. And so the only way to make real change and impact is to acknowledge that and then to start learning about it because your abuser knows more about it than you do, I promise you. There's manuals, there's movies. Hell, fucking movies teach people how to abuse people. Like, you want to figure out how to be a serial killer? Watch enough movies. You want to know how to abuse? Like, just watch enough entertainment. You'll figure it out. You want to know any more? Join the military. Be a police officer. Be in a level job that's serious stress, where you think you have power and ability over people. Have a whole bunch of money i mean there's a whole bunch of reasons why it grows and it manifests in people and so we need to just learn it we need to learn it and if we could do that then that's where we can start making the change
1: so erica i really just want to thank you for being a guest on our show you know you've been through a lot Uh, living in a prison for so long, all of the maneuvering that's going on to keep yourself safe, to keep your children safe, and you are surviving. You're a survivor. You're surviving the course of control of your partner. And even when you thought that you might have freedom, the truth of the matter is, is that you didn't because the outside world sometimes feels a lot scarier than The devil that you know, the person that you are with, and you are just a survivor, and you are a real beacon of hope for everyone who was listening today, and you did a great job not just in telling your story, but communicating your feelings, validating everyone who is listening, and also educating them, too. So I really can't thank you enough for uh, being here with us today and sharing your story.
0: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: So a big thank you to Erica once again. And Erica does have a book about her experience. It's called But That's Not Me. And I will leave that in the show notes. It's a book about her abusive situation. It's also co-written by Dr. Cheryl LeJoule Jackson. And if you want to be a guest on our show like Erica was today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our guest form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our guest form and press the submit button. And please do read all of our instructions and send it in the format that we ask for. Also, at our website, we have our very own support group. So, if you need support, go to the top of the page. There's the button that says support group at narcissistapocalypse.com. When you click on that button, it takes you to our support group. It's our very own safe social network. And on Wednesday nights, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights, we have Zoom meetings for you to validate other survivors and get the validation you need as well. And again, it's a great group of people in our support group. You'll feel very supported by all of them. So if you need support, join our support group today at NarcissistApocalypse.com. And if you need even more support, everyone, please do visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. There, they have articles and resources to make sense of what you're going through. And they have every phone number every email address, every web address for shelters and abuse agencies, no matter how big or small your town is. DomesticShelters.org has it all there. It is a free resource. It's a great resource and great organization. So please do visit them today. And that is it for our show. So for myself and Erica, we hope you have a good night.